Hey there, demons. It's us, you girls. Welcome to the Office Goblin Podcast. I'm S. And I'm D. And we are goblins, two goblins on the internet that have many thoughts, interests, and opinions about stuff and things. And it's been a while, uh, darling, so <laughs> we are back. We are better, faster, stronger, and more goblinier <laughs> than ever. Hell yeah. <laughs> more goblinier. I mean, yeah, we're we're better, faster, stronger, lighter, you know. In both mind and spirit. <laughs> mind and spirit. And I mean, I guess physically, you know, since I've had pieces of me removed now. Okay, I thought we were going to go talk about pooping. Like, you know, when you have that one and you're like, oh, God, my body feels like a pound lighter. And but no. <laughs> would you you want to share about um, uh, some of uh, the extractions that have been taking place? Yeah, so to explain the the time here... I had an emergency appendectomy a couple weeks ago. So I have been, I had some really bad abdominal pains. They were lasting on four or five hours. I told my husband, this is not right. I need to go to the ER. And they said that my appendix was starting to swell on one side. And it wasn't to the point of bursting, but it could very well have gotten to that point. So I consider myself lucky that I went in when I did. But yeah. I I didn't know what to expect, and next thing I knew, a surgeon was coming in saying, we're going to schedule you tomorrow to get that appendix removed. And I said, we're going to what? What if they came in and said, I want your appendix? You know, I would say- Give it to me. <laughs> I would say, if you want to reach in there and get it, you're happy to it. Right, right. So yeah, that's why we were out for a couple of weeks, audience. But we are back, as S has said, gobliner than ever. Yeah, when I was thinking earlier, it's there. Are, <laughs> I was stuck between gobliny, goblinier, <laughs> and the gobliniest. You know, that's like a veneer of goblin. <laughs> oh my word! You know how sometimes animals have the weird names for like a group of them together, kind of like a murder of crows energy. Yeah, what would you call a large group of goblins? A gobble. Yes. Even though I think that might be the group name for turkeys. A gobble of turkeys? I, I don't know if that's correct or not. I don't know if it's a... Because, I mean, there's always a flock of birds, but... A gob, anywho. A gob of goblins. Yeah, a gob of goblins. That's good. <laughs> yeah, you know when people say gobbledygook? <laughs> like, very casually, too, and with confidence in conversation... <laughs> And you're like, what did you just call me? I'm pretty sure anyone who says that with confidence has caramel candies in their pocket. <laughs> or butterscotch, like the hard butterscotch candies. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, before we go even further, today, my lovely Ez, what is it that we wanted to talk about? We're going to talk about books. We're bringing it back. Woo. We did a episode a few episodes ago, a few seasons ago. and. Oof. Might I mention we're on episode 40, y'all. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. That's you a lot. You can't stop a runaway train, a gob of <laughs> goblins on a train. <laughs> and would you And would you want to? No, absolutely not. Right. I hope the train is on fire, that they're doing karate, and that there's a Muay disco thai. ball somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Mai Tai, totally. 
No, so we... Or highlight, even. You know that (laughs) thing where you throw the ball with the thing and you have, like, a scoop on a hand? Yes. But no, like as I was saying, we're we're bringing back a, a favorite topic of ours, which is books. But not any kind of books. Because it is... Spooky season. (laughs) So S and I thought we would give our recommendations for our favorite books that make you not want to go to sleep at night. Yeah, yeah. And they will come with a wide variety of topics. Now, mine are more in the realm of nonfiction. Do you have a mixture of that or something a little different? I love that you are bringing nonfiction to the table because I am bringing solely fiction. Good. Well, fun. I look forward to hearing all the recommendations because you know what? I've been dabbling more in the area of fiction and absolutely Mm -hmm. loving it. Oh, God, yeah. Fiction's where it's at. I'm, I've, I love how we're two sides of the same coin because the last couple of years is when I started to get into nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I've always loved fiction. And I feel like there's enough fucked up shit that happens in the world that fiction can reflect and build off of true, you know, mm-hmm. events. And so it often does because is the truth stranger than fiction? Ooh, is the truth ooh. more disgusting than fiction? Right. (laughs) Probably. So, yeah. Do you want to kick us off with your favorite? Maybe not just favorite, but what's the first thing on your list? It's October. It's a fresh, crisp, cold day out. What is the book that you're cracking open to get into the season? So, as y'all know, I'm a big fan of horror films. And uh, especially that Conjuring series Mm. um, based on the adventures and escapades of Ed and Lorraine Warren, which I guess were some of the first, um, like he was a non-ordained individual who was a demonologist, right? And he assisted Mm -hmm. in exorcisms, paranormal investigations, what have you. And his wife, I guess, was um, a gifted clairvoyant or medium. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, they investigated these goings on and kind of tried to debunk them and were involved in some, in actuality, in some really complex cases, uh, most notably the Amityville Horror case. Yes. And, you know, there's still so much, in the court of public opinion, (laughs) there is uh, still a lot of questions as to the authenticity of what happened after the murders that took place in the late 70s in that house. Mm-hmm. Because I believe it's somewhere in New York. Yes. But, you know, these are two public figures that have been mired in a lot of controversy, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm reading a book called The Demonologist by Gerald Brittle mm-hmm. about some of the cases. And, you know, I I like to think that everyone should approach everything with a healthy dose of skepticism. Right. But it is definitely an, a fun and interesting read. It's so funny that you bring that up because I listened to another podcast that deals with uh, not not just true crimes, but mysteries in general. Love and it. for October, they're doing a special for haunted houses. So they, every episode this week is a new haunted house mystery. Mm-hmm. And the last one that just came out um, on Monday was the Amityville Horror House. And they talked uh-huh. about how, because I think three episodes prior to this one coming out, they did one on Annabelle, which is kind of what got the Warrens yes, really they thrust were also into the limelight. Involved. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, they were known before, but I feel like that was what really got him into the popularity zone. Like, ever, it started to become more of a household name. Yeah. And then to find out later that they were a part of the Amityville case was just wild to me. But yeah. Right. Yeah. The six degrees of demonology does not, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very close-knit circle, a very close-knit six degrees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm happy that you brought up haunted houses because, you know, oftentimes that is like the true essence of Halloween, the haunted places. You know, we don't think of haunted mm-hmm. people, haunted objects as much as we think about haunted houses and kind of the lore and mystery surrounding uh, some buildings, right. which I think is super cool. And think yeah. about it, like in in every place that you and I have lived there, tell me there isn't at least one house that's infamous and <laughs> potentially haunted. I... We'll give a small bit. I know we don't talk about ourselves too much. Mm-hmm. I live within probably an hour's driving distance from the Stanley Hotel. Oh, yes. So, like, yeah, anywhere you live, uh-huh. you're close to somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And fans of classic horror, you may recognize that as the inspiration um, behind The Shining. Mm-hmm. So go you um, get yourself out there and check it out. It's beautiful. I saw it in person years ago. It's so fun because they do, um, if you look at their website, they have like your standard rooms, your king size, your queen size, and then they have spooky rooms. Specifically, <laughs> it is the rooms where the most activity has been recorded and you can rent and stay the night there. And it's they do their ghost tours. It's really cool. Question, would you ever be down to stay in one of these allegedly spooky rooms? Um, Not by yourself, like with someone or with a group of folks. If I was with people, I could probably do it. By myself, yeah, absolutely not. Like you would okay, have to pay cool. me a, an unreal amount of money to stay in one of those rooms by myself. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And let me be clear, I would never insinuate, oh, by yourself, because I'm like, I wouldn't even do it by myself. <laughs> like, no, like, no you. you're coming with me. We're going to die together. Oh, God. <laughs> then add to the haunting, you know. Oh, no. When in Rome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But please tell me about some of the choices that uh, showed up on your list. So one of the first books that I thought of when I thought of spooky stories that I've read that are are fiction mostly Mm -hmm. is the semi-new release Mexican Gothic. Oh, uh uh-huh. By Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And I read it when it came out because I I worked in the library. And it... Look at you, VIP. (laughs) I (laughs) I was not prepared with how that story went, it is very insidious is the best word I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've not heard, uh, audience, if you've never heard of the story, it takes place in Mexico in the 1950s. And this woman's sister has married an affluent white man and has moved in with him into his family's house, which is like a mansion in this old dying mining town. Mm-hmm. And the sister who was married writes back home and kind of says, like, I need you to get me out of here. Like, this isn't safe. Mm-hmm. 
So she kind of like she says, "Okay, well, I'm I'm going to show up then," and gets there as soon as she can. And the the place is just weird, weird vibes. Mm-hmm. The way mm-hmm. the family does things is weird. You know, she can she starts having weird dreams. She starts feeling like something's just not right with the house, and mm-hmm. it, it spirals from there. How would you describe the genre of the book? Is it more like a mystery, suspense? Oh, it's straight horror. Is that right? Oh, I, wow. okay. I would probably say straight horror. Granted, I have not read like any Stephen King novels or whatever, but mm-hmm. it it's not a slasher. It's not bloody. It's, I guess, more of a psychological horror story. Interesting. Yeah. I remember you telling me about this because it was over a year ago i'm pretty sure yeah and yeah just from the get-go being like oh my god so good it's it's really good i it kept me all the way from the beginning to the end and by the end i didn't really want to finish it because it gets it gets gnarly i'm like i don't like how this is making me feel (laughs) reading this but i have to know (laughs) Uh uh-huh so yeah but see i like that though it's like you know, it's easy to go and watch a movie, especially a, a movie or a television series based on a book. Mm-hmm. But the mystique of a book that can lure you in and have such a emotional effect on you mm. that you're like, you know what? I need to walk away from this book. I got to put this down, <laughs> take a breather, look at like pictures of kittens and puppies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely had one of those moments towards the end. I'm like, okay, we're just going to... I'm going to go get a glass of water, and I'll be right back. (laughs) Time to hydrate. (laughs) Yeah, you know what's, you know what else is scary? Dehydration. Oh, yeah. Hydrate before you dehydrate. And before you get that stinky pee. (laughs) That concentrated urine. Oh, my God. Okay, what what is the next book on your list, S, before we get into fucking (laughs) urology here? It's an important topic, but, you know, maybe for another time. Let us know. You know what? This is kind of out realm, outside the realm of horror, but I would argue some people find it scary because certainly it's led to a lot of scary interactions over time and is still a hot button issue. Okay. But this author and speaker was recommended to me by one of my cousins. Shouts out to you, Em. Christopher Hitchens. So he's one of the most outspoken atheists, and he died a few years ago from cancer. But I'm reading a lot of um, a book of his essays. Okay. And another book entitled God is Not Great. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so interesting to me because, you know, especially growing up Catholic and raised in that environment and not in like a pushy way or anything like that, not a like a fundy kind of more extremist way you know, reading books, and in general, whether they were to do with religion or not, I've seen God in uppercase G, right? Mm-hmm. But this was title case G. Oh. Yeah, so this fella's going there, and it is fascinating. Like, it is just such a good read, you know, whether you identify as an atheist, as, you know, uh, quite a religious person, agnostic, however... Truly, mm-hmm. like anyone of any denomination, I think it's a very interesting read and just kind of another interesting perspective. I love that. I remember reading online, there was a post from a pastor who was speaking that when you see 
you know, your fellow human or neighbor struggling, you should Mm -hmm. treat them as an atheist in the sense that you should be doing something out of the goodness of your heart and not because some higher power, you're like, you're fearing the outcome if you don't. You should just feel like you should help your fellow human versus I'm doing this because I don't want to go to hell or I'm doing this because God told me, like, you should just do it. Yes. And you know what? I'm so glad that you bring this up and this truly solidifies that you and I are on the same face of the goblin (laughs) coin. But one of the chapters that I'm at right now in that God is not great book has to do with exactly that. Mm -hmm. Does religion only cause you to behave a certain way and keep you in quote unquote, like moral standing and moral alignment, simply because you fear the repercussions of hell and eternal damnation? Yes. (laughs) And is if that is the case, what does that say about you? That is so, that could be a whole episode on its own getting into that. I mean, I think, because I was raised Baptist, not Southern Baptist, normal Baptist. <laughs> I like how you had to distinguish. I distinguish every fucking time I talk to someone about religion, because I say I was raised Baptist, and then they immediately think Westboro Baptist Church. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, That that's a whole nother sphere of, you know, <laughs> its own little tiny universe of hate. Exactly. And so... And signs. But they they act as if, you know, they're a religious group and they're doing God's work. So, you know, how do you get to that point? Mm-hmm. So it's like, that could be a whole, like I said, a whole episode. I just, I love that. And I think that is a really good book to, or a, a topic to read, because it can be scary for some people to think about their religion outside of their religion. Yeah. Oh my, you know what? There's a lot to the power of words. And Mm. I think just like in horror, you know, certain words can create an atmosphere, convey a certain emotion. (laughs) Um, I promise this is going to come full circle. Oh, you're good. So my tattoo artist. Okay. Great guy. Very cool guy. He loves documentaries Mm -hmm. and anything to do with science, anything to do with nature, and especially anything to do with people and how people act and interact. And he had recommended to me, and we were coincidentally watching this together, it was Wild Wild Country about the Rajanish, uh, you know, cult, the people that were dressed like all in red and things like that. Yes, I've I've seen the trailers, trailers, but I haven't watched the show. And it is a trip, oh my word. But I... And apropos on, I guess, the topic of cults to tie it in and close this topic is um, also another fantastic book that I've been reading called Cultish. And mm-hmm. it's the language of fanaticism. Like, what is it yes. about these individuals? You know, the author talks about that uh, Rajanish, the Bhagwan, uh, Jim Jones from Jonestown, you know, mm-hmm. how is it that these people or even Heaven's Gate, you know, that space cult yes. science the scientologist with l ron hubbard absolutely fascinating stuff because it's like when you look at any institution whether it's secular or non-secular they have all the symptoms of a cult <laughs> simply yeah. by like you know the cult of crossfit the, the author even talks oh, about yeah. that you know so it, it, the certain terminology like going into beast mode <laughs> and you know that you're more shamed for not attending these sessions, regardless of what is happening in your life. Yeah. And, you know, how is it that the group, um, the self becomes infused and 
it's oh god it's like psychology <laughs> it's um linguistics it's so many fantastic things i highly recommend it because it's also terrifying at the same time you're like holy shit there's some crazy people out there and i'm oh, gonna yeah. use that a capital c crazy <laughs> and i can't because i got the degree <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's i yeah i 100 percent agree that like you said you know with nonfiction and and the truth is stranger than fiction cults sure are is. The, the definition of a cult and what is a cult is wild you know because people think witches burning bodies in the woods I'm like that is not that's a coven first of all but second of all that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah get it straight <laughs> but no it's it's surprising and i don't think people realize they're in a cult and that's the scariest part Yes, exactly that. And, you know, the author interviews several individuals who were in these different cults. And I mean, very educated people, you know, Mm -hmm. people who were doing well in life had good jobs were very established. And by all means, on the surface level seemed very put together. Mm -hmm. And some of these individuals stayed for over 20 years or until you know ultimately catastrophe and this cult fell apart somehow and there are even individuals who drifted to several cults so it's like the lesson was not learned the first time around it (laughs) took two to three more times in some cases which is so nuts you know you know what could be uh i'm gonna do like a very snazzy segue from cult to clubs because uh, hey. my my next book recommendation <laughs> is bring it home bring it home it's a mouthful it's the southern book club's guide to slaying vampires by grady hendrix do tell what grady has been up to if you lovely people of the internet have ever heard of the website goodreads mm-hmm yep the definition for Southern Book Clyde Book Club's guide is Steel Magnolias meets Dracula. I am so into that. <laughs> it takes place. I had to look this up because I couldn't remember. I knew it took place in like that time before the millennium. And it, it takes place in 1993 in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it follows this woman who is married, has two kids, And being the 90s, she's expected to be a mom first. She's expected to be a house caretaker first. Her husband works a job that's good enough to keep the family, you know, afloat. He's the quote unquote breadwinner. Now that's a horror movie because this economy. (laughs) It gets kind of worse. And so she joins the local book club Mm -hmm. because that's what's expected of her. And she gets tired of reading the same bullshit week after week, month after month, that she breaks off with some of the other women in the book club and starts their own book club where they're going to read horror mysteries and true crime. And that's what they want to talk about. Book club anarchy. (laughs) And everything's going great until a new person, a new man moves into their neighborhood and Mm -hmm. shit starts getting weird. And so the main character thinks this is another Ted Bundy. Like, this is a Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm going to solve this case and pin all of these. Like, I think people start showing up. She's like, I'm going to pin these murders on this man because I know something's not right with him. Something's not right with him. He's not human. He's a vampire. Uh Uh-huh. And it becomes that stereotypical story 
of No One Believes the Woman, where she's crazy. She's crying wolf. There's no way this charming, smart, like, put-together man is a vampire, let alone a serial killer. And it's just... I I got so angry reading the story, but it was still written so well that I wanted to know how it ended. Yeah. And so I, I just... I can't recommend it enough because it is really good. That sounds fantastic. And tying into kind of the same atmosphere of not believing the women and women in horror, if you've Mm -hmm. seen enough movies, some ladies die just excruciating deaths. And most horror watchers will know the quote unquote rules, unspoken rules of horror like, oh, if you do drugs, if you have premarital sex, then you're going to die. You know, those kinds of things that make you a more likely candidate for meeting a very gruesome end. And, you know, I can name any number of horror movies where, like, a woman uh, is infected, you know, has a sexually transmitted disease that ends up killing her. Or, oh, yeah. you know, her vagina is, like, the source of... I guess a semi-empowering movie could be Teeth, where a girl has, yeah, teeth in her vagina. If y'all know, you know. Yes. But it's still a really fucked up movie, you know, until that time. Um, But there's this really fantastic book, and I think we talked about it during our initial book episode called Dumb Blondes and Bad Mothers. And, you know, oftentimes talks about the lore of, you know, Blaming the woman, just like, oh, you have all these serial killers. And oftentimes, you know, it's written in their biographies. Oh, the mom was uh, like a religious evangelist, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, like beat these kids, whatever. But what they don't talk about is oftentimes the father was an abuser, a drunkard, all these things that, Mm -hmm. you know, contributed to the breakdown of this family and maybe the subsequent individual. But... It's just more fun to pin the blame on the mom. Or, yeah. you know, if you're a whore, you're going to die or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I I really like Grady Hendrix's writing. They actually, their latest book came out last year or something. Because now, nowadays, I feel like there's been a shift in horror in the genre. Mm-hmm. And there's less of a focus on the killer and more on the final girl, quote unquote. So this is their latest book is the final girl support group, which is (laughs) it takes place in a therapy setting where all of these women are survivors of a traumatic experience. Think Jason, like when they go to the camp and they kill everyone except one person. Yep. So that's the final girl and they survive and they, so this is a, a support group for all these women who have been in Uh traumatic experiences and are the sole survivor. And then someone starts killing them. No, why? (laughs) And so then the main character has to find out who is going after the final girls. And Oh my goodness. I, I have to admit, I didn't like it as much as the book club book solely because I saw the ending coming a little too early. Okay. But that's also just me. As soon as I started meeting these new characters, I'm like, that's what it is, isn't it? That's what this is. Okay, yeah. And then I made it to the end, and there was a twist that did I didn't see coming. But the rest of it I would saw coming, like, by chapter three. But it was still mm-hmm. really good. 
And I I really um, enjoyed how they wrote from the main character's perspective as a survivor of a very traumatic experience, mm-hmm. how paranoid her thought process is, how OCD she is, how incredibly mapped out every single second of every day is because of the trauma she experienced. And I feel like they did a really good job encapsulating someone who survived that kind of event and is a final girl. Would you argue that the rate of, let's say, female listenership or viewership to these true crime stories, podcasts, what have you, books, is simply due to the fact that women face so much violence and fear that by watching or reading about these things, it's showing you ways not to die or find yourself in this kind of situation that these final girls or victims have found themselves in? I think so. I think it could also be wanting to be in the group of the strong people. You survived. Like, you Uh were the survivor. You were strong enough, quote-unquote, and however fucked up this, what I'm saying, is. I understand, Mm -hmm. psychologically. But thinking of... If I can be friends with her, she survived, then mm-hmm. I'll survive because I'll have someone who's strong enough to survive or like you want to be the person who lives. No one wants to die. You know, no one right. wants to be the people that like wrote love letters to Ted Bundy are fucked up. No one wants to die. No one wants to be in the serial killer's trunk. Like you can choke about it, but you don't want to actually be there. Right. Because in reality, Ted Bundy was an asshole. Right. And And, a terrible piece of shit, of course. Right. So it's like, I think a lot of women might flock to these shows to not just, to to feel like being in a community of people that understand the fear. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I don't know. It does. I I think people have been interested in true crimes and, and death and murder forever, you know? We've always been, like, people in general have always been interested in in death and the great beyond. But this whole rise of documentaries and podcasts, and I really do think it's just women where maybe their fears are actualized and Mm -hmm. they are using those to either get information or just find a community. But I don't know. I think there's there's also a level of this is unhealthy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like this macabre fascination and obsession yeah. even, yeah. Because yeah. you're absolutely right. Like the topic of death is simultaneously this really taboo thing, especially I would argue in Western culture, mm-hmm. where when someone dies, it's supposed to be a very sterile thing. It happens in a hospital. You don't really see them. Then maybe you see the body presented, you know, so perfectly filled out, whatever, looking great, almost, you know, prior to their sickness or decline, whatever it was. Yeah. And, you know, and then you put them in a box, you bury them forever. And, you know, it's a very quick process as yeah. opposed to other cultures where it's like you might spend time with the individual. I don't, I don't think people even know their rights. Like, you absolutely mm-hmm. have the right to let's say prepare a body at home and then have it taken to the funeral home or whatever it is so I, I wonder when that changed because like it was always a thing well in in the victorian era mm-hmm. death was a normal day-to-day event you had your yeah. morning room the family took care of the body mm-hmm. you you had someone sit with the body the night before the funeral which i would never want that job <laughs> No, thank you. (laughs) But 
I just, I wonder when it became, like, it changed from, oh, they died, like, it's part of life. Let, mm-hmm. Like, we talk about it, it's a day-to-day occurrence, to this hyper-sterilization of it that we have today. I'm wondering if it has to do with the fact that people are living much longer lives now and the quality mm. of life has generally improved. Yeah. And, you know, we're pe- in a time where people died young and, you know, simple things that we can remedy with, let's say, antibiotics or whatever. Yeah. It is not like a life crisis <laughs> happening. Yeah. But did you also know that Victor- the Victorian era funeral technology was made in response to the amount of body snatching going on because medical schools were being uh, only supplied bodies from like let's say executed criminals and maybe poor houses i i have a book somewhere on my shelves that has to do i should have wrote this down that has to do with the metal like the body snatching for medical purposes because hospitals like schools couldn't get enough bodies for their students to learn and so there was this whole underground trade happening where people would pay grave like grave robbers to dig up freshly buried bodies and bring Mm -hmm. them to the hospital or even like before the bodies were sent out while they're still in the hospital if they if they were sent there were kept and like swapped out you know it's yeah it's crazy or uh, the suspiciously fresh bodies, which actually turned out to be people murdered off the street uh-huh. in order to p- procure a body. And then these criminals, ironically, <laughs> uh, ended up being executed and then also used as uh, a medical studies corpse. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine getting hired for a hit job and then that person who hired you turning you in? <laughs> That's just bad business. <laughs> Yeah, like, join join the mafia and keep your receipts or something. I don't know. Oh, my God. You know, while we're still on this train of true crime, do you mind if I bring up another book to talk about? Oh, my gosh, yes. So this book was gifted to me last Christmas from one of my best friends. And she said, I'm basically getting this book into everyone's hands possible. <laughs> the book is called Emma in the Night by Wendy Walker. I thought you said enema in the night. And I was like, oh, no, it's one of those. (laughs) Emma. Emma in the night by Wendy Walker. And (laughs) the story surrounds these two girls that get kidnapped. Mm -hmm. And one girl finds her way back home. Like, they find her walking down the side of the road, coming out of the woods. And all she will say is, you have to find my sister. You have to find my sister. You have to find... And so her sister is Emma. Mm -hmm. And they bring in, you know, the police, the people... Because these girls have been missing for months. Mm -hmm. Months. And so to have one just walk out of the woods in the neighborhood? Like, where the fuck have you been? You've been gone for over a year, basically. And the only thing she is saying is, you have to find my sister. Mm -hmm. And... You know, she tells this tale of being kidnapped and living off this island and how, you know, she managed to make this great escape from the island and it took her a year to do it. Yada, yada, yada. Like this huge wow. long thing. And the detective, the child detective, like the, the woman who was in charge of the detective, so she specializes in like child services, mm-hmm. immediately knows something's not added up. She's like, how, why did it take you this long? Why were you taken in the first place? Where is your sister? 
Do you Mm -hmm. have any idea, like any leads? She's got no leads, so she just says you have to find her. And through sheer dumb luck that this investigator has, I think, a degree in psychology and specialized in narcissistic behaviors, realizes that the family is hiding something. That something's not right with the mom. Something's not Mm -hmm. right with the relationships they're within. And it... it, Yeah. Wow. Like, you start to figure things out that the reason she's not saying anything is because she can't. Like, in the way of you have to figure this out. Because she doesn't know where her sister is. Oh, man. Oh, I got goosebumps. Like, that sounds so good. I loved your, like, uh, rendition of this plot. Like, you really pulled me in. I was like, yeah, and then what happened? (laughs) I don't want to spoil it for people because let me tell you, it's a good one. It's a really good story. Yeah. So, yeah. It's very true crime, though. And uh, shouts out to representation of folks with a psychology degree in fiction. Right. And then, like, there's this whole also, like, kind of second subplot of if the police are going to take that investigator off the case because she's too closely tied to this topic. She did, like, her whole thesis on narcissistic mothers, and so they think that she's just seeing things that aren't actually there with the family dynamics. like, confirmation bias kind of thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's... It's like everyone, like, everyone's just trying to fight to figure out what happened to these kids. Yeah. But you have to be willing to see it from all sides. You can't just take a story at face value. Yeah. It's really cool. And it gets really psychological in different aspects. And it was like, I thought it's it's a really good one. And now I'm the one that's like, I need to get this book into everyone's hands. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. What a fantastic story. And like, rich with. Uh, just pathology. <laughs> it's yes, 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 yes. Oh, that is so interesting. But I will say, if the people working on the case are suspicious of this main character, they clearly have never lived in a rural community where everyone knows everyone. And that's just the caveat to uh, service providers is that you will likely both live in close proximity to this person, no them on a very personal level, but then also have to provide these services because you live in a rural community. Yeah, that's always the hardest part. I mean, I I grew up in a rural community. You knew everyone's fucking dog. You knew when they were in jail before they knew they were in jail. Like, it was... (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely a, a difficult position to be in when you've... Because we had volunteer firefighters, you know. Granted, we didn't have a volunteer police force, because hello, that's fucked up, but... Right, you give them water guns, that's like, it. Then you can volunteer. Like, the the guy who ended up being the police chief was my principal, my senior year of high school. Was he doing both jobs concurrently? I don't think so. I think he... I think he became he on the police force after I graduated. He was just the oh. stand-in principal. Like, our last principal got... um removed from the school <laughs> for various reasons because small town but so he was just a stand-in <laughs> principal and then i think that next year he became the sheriff but like that's the kind of world people are living in when you live in a town of less than two thousand people yeah is like 
the sheriff is your best friend's dad or mom and you've known each other your whole fucking lives. Yeah. I I will say during the short time that, you know, when I met you, also living in a rural community. Yeah. Um, and the schools that I worked at, I mean, the administrator there, he's like, I was teaching when some of these kids' parents were still kids. Mm-hmm. You know, or even way before that. So I'm like, damn, son, you've seen some things. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was a good time. Like, I, I could see the pros and cons to both of those things. But still, sounds like such a fantastic book. And I'm going to be checking all these out as soon as we're off yes! this conversation. Yeah. What what do you have for me? What's what's your next book on your list? It's so funny. Um because I was going to recommend any like number of books that I read about psychiatry and just the appalling conditions that they used to treat people who were experiencing some kind of difficulties real or, you know, imagined. Oh yeah. And that has certainly come a long way. Um I read this book. This was like a year ago if not two. Uh, God, what was it called? It was at a time when people were still very much into, like, you know, during the Victorian era when they started holding those, like, seances and mysticism Mm -hmm. was a real big thing. Yeah. Being a clairvoyant. So it was a case about a woman who was almost, like, emitting or causing poltergeist activity in her own home. Oh. And it was fascinating because they tied, you know, oftentimes it's like, oh, around the course of reaching sexual maturity, you know, and it's always with uh, girls, you know, becoming women, like that, uh, those, you know, not only physical changes and going through puberty, but kind of this awakening sexuality and self-awareness of self Mm -hmm. and in the body that you inhabit. And... Historically, that has always been a thing, right? And always been kind of feared. Yeah. But in this book, they kind of take it a step further. And I believe it was based on a true account. So this woman, you know, all these weird things started happening, objects levitating, just like going all over the place. And the paranormal investigator assigned to this case, you know, it was a very long case. Certainly the methods for testing these things weren't great. Because there was a lot of that Mm -hmm. personal involvement there with the investigator and the woman. And they explored such concepts as, like, even hysteria. Like, oh, this woman is just hysteric, and that's why she's causing all these things to occur and manifest in her home. You know, she is, in fact, the catalyst for these things. Everyone's favorite fucking I know I word to use I really and diagnosis absolutely it's very much like that show Freud which is on Netflix um about like a clairvoyant and you know exploring all of the same concepts and yes it does have Sigmund huh. Freud in there um obviously yeah right our, our good old boy but um Siggy <laughs> yeah but I wish I remember the title I'll have to mention it at some other time or we'll post it on our tumblr but um, yeah, that that was just interesting because you're like, damn, the world is a scary place for women. <laughs> yeah, like we didn't need another. I know, book reminding reminder. us that. Yeah, twisting the <laughs> knife. <laughs> yeah, I I really like 
the the history of psychology didn't start out as a dark one. No. But it, it quickly became when I think society got a bigger step into it, mm-hmm. when it became medical. Because psychology started, you know, mostly with talk therapy, mostly with, you know, getting someone out of a bad situation, sitting them down. I mean, it's just like when people got sick in the Victorian era and they took a trip out to the ocean and all of a sudden Maggie got better. Probably because she wasn't dressing in fucking dresses with arsenic in it, Dave. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Dave. It it got when it became medical, that's when psychology started getting wonky and started getting more like capitalist because then they could make money off of it. They could get make make money off of distributing drugs to people and housing them in asylums. And, you know, then there was that whole stigma that came from being othered. Yeah. That you know, the number of stories that exist of a family member locked in the attic because the family didn't want them, like, they would be a quote-unquote embarrassment. That's like, awful. Awful. It's it's so fucked up. But that actually, I love how everything you say then leads to one of the stories I have on my list. Vibes. See? We just, we just know. I have a story called The Patient. And before I get started into it, I saw that there's a movie coming out called The Patient. I think starring Steve Carell. And I got really excited. I'm like, oh my God, is this based off the book? It's not based off the book. I don't know what it's fucking about, but it's not about the book. And I got very (laughs) upset about it. (laughs) The book, The Patient by Jasper DeWitt, when you first open it, it says it's based off of true stories. Because I guess there used to be like a Reddit for hospitals. Like, people who could Uh post strange shit that happened in the hospitals or psych wards without it being linked back to them. And that site apparently no longer exists. But, like, strange, and I'm sorry for butting in, like, strange in the sense of supernatural goings on or just, like, weird, synergistic, whatever. You have to think that this is coming from, and again, I don't even know if this website actually existed. I don't know if this was part of the book putting you in this mindset or not oh, to believe okay. it real. But the way that they made it sound is you've got people who are very highly educated, doctors, nurses, people who have worked in the medical field for years. Mm-hmm. You see some weird fucking shit. And you experience some weird shit when you're in the medical oh, community. Oh, in that sense. Okay, yep, yep. Right. And it could very well be, like, this story does deal with supernatural uh Aspects. Is that the word I want? Okay. Yeah, Goings on. Yeah. Um, so this is supposedly coming from a, a man who starts working in a psych ward. And there is a patient in the psych ward that has been there for years. And okay. it is said that no one is to talk to them. Like, they stay in that room. They get their food. They get their medicine. But no one, no psychologist is allowed to have meetings with them. They've basically been deemed dangerous to be around. And this person comes in and says, well, I can do it. Like, I don't know why people think, like, no human can be that dangerous. And (laughs) it quickly becomes apparent that this human is indeed very manipulative Mm -hmm. very 
can get their claws into you and believe that they are the victim. Interesting. And then it starts to turn into this psychologist starts having nightmares. They start hearing things. They start seeing things. And the only thing that they can relate it back to is this patient who makes them think that these things are real and happening. And it, the long and the short of it is basically this person seems to be demon possessed. That's a twist. Yeah. And I feel like I can say that without ruining the whole story uh-huh. because it just gets wild. <laughs> I feel like I've yeah. said wild at least six times this episode, but it, it gets out <laughs> of hand. I'll say that instead. And I just, I, I put that book down and said, was that based off a true story? Because holy fucking shit. Yeah. But I like how that straddles like the lines of, is this real? Because it's very much aligned to the tone of the story itself, like what this main character is experiencing. Yeah, it's, it's, I love when fiction, and I don't even want to say based off a true story, because sometimes those are stupid, right? Like, if you're going to base it off a true story, just give me the fucking story, you know? Yeah, there's always a hint of hyperbole in there. Yeah. And so, but this really did, I, I, I lost some sleep after I read that book, because to think that just, I wouldn't want that to have actually occurred. Like, there on any planet, I would not, and I'm not even dealing with it, I would not want that story to hold any kind of truth. <laughs> As someone who grew up Catholic, the concept of possession is both endlessly fascinating, but more than anything scary to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why I gravitate toward these types of horrors so hard. <laughs> Case in point, the demonologist, right? Yeah. Where... Like, yeah, demon possession. I'm just like, ew, no, don't pick me. Not me. (laughs) I'm not worth it. (laughs) You don't want to be in this body. I promise. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, it's definitely, it gives you the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. but Is that the clinical term? (laughs) That is. It's the heebie-jeebies. But like how you said with, you know, psychology, and hysteria and depression and anxiety before we had those terms people thought there was just demons in people it's still misunderstood like schizophrenia is still highly demonized which i don't think is fair at all no because i think it's so misunderstood still as to what it is is it one disorder is a a conglomeration of several disorders and so difficult to treat just like borderline personality disorder even Mm -hmm. and what brings it on because people with schizophrenia they don't like the average age to be diagnosed is 25 right yeah for those who uh, took a gander in the dsm-5 which is the current edition (laughs) you will see that uh many disorders have age bands like when something starts cropping up Uh, Mm -hmm. when you can diagnose it, like case in point, let's say ODD versus CD and so forth. Mm. So yeah, 25. I wonder, like, is that, do you think because the brain is developing up till that time or are there biomarkers? Because I'm sure, you know, oftentimes when you see a person with mental illness, there's like a familial history somewhere in the tree, so to speak. And it's, it's really weird I don't know if we should include this or not, but where we went to grad school, that town is actually known for having some of the highest schizophrenia population. 
I also heard that there's the most meth labs in that county. Coincidence? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Correlation does not imply causation. Right. But <laughs> Before y'all come at us. We're we're laughing because it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a yoke. But um no, it's because I never I, knew that. That's because nice. it has to do with your perception of reality yeah. and you know, the last part of your brain to form is your logistical forebrain. So maybe there is something there that like in the last year or something, it just either doesn't connect properly or it's it's an enigma. Most of psychology, most mental illness is an enigma, but yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, we've talked about this before, how the field of psychology is, I wouldn't say the youngest one, but things like brain surgery yes. is quite still ongoing process <laughs> compared to other types of surgeries that have been done and yeah. are being done. Yeah, it's really tricky because the brain is... We still don't understand the brain. We still don't understand how it works. It's like the ocean. We have no idea what's in the ocean. We have no idea how the brain works. And so to think that we can fix a brain is preposterous, I feel. I think so, too. And I was reading something recently, uh, you know, like medication-wise, SSRIs, how it like serotonin has nothing to do with depression. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, like, the whole pharmacological industry, you know, it it is obviously a big cash cow and how a lot of these things, if you just numb a person out, you're just treating, you're band-aiding something as opposed to treating the actual core of the issue. Oh my god, yes. I I read a book, not on the horror side, but still on topic, uh, The Neurodivergent Mind, and yeah oh my god it's so fucking good and it talks mm-hmm. a lot about how you can't treat the symptoms you have to treat the problem and to treat the problem it's not medicine it's right. not hospitalization to treat the problem you have to treat the human like you almost have to treat the soul as hippy dippy as that sounds it's but true though it is it is absolutely true and i think like i said before we have taken such a hard turn into medicalizing psychology that we left what it meant to actually study psychology. Right. And I can tell you that even the person that appears at face level to be the most well-adjusted has issues. Mm -hmm. You know, education, you can be highly educated, you can be very accomplished, established, whatever, but also very troubled. You just know you're better at hiding it and repressing it and pushing it down, down, down. (laughs) Yeah. I promise I'm not speaking from personal experience of interacting <laughs> with these people. I'm calling the cops on you. No, no, we're fine. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Is that, is that a cop? I'm calling the weed. <laughs> I'm calling the police. <laughs> that's an if you know, you know. <laughs> totally. Before we get further i feel like we had some really good conversation here we are approaching the hour mark what what would you like to do dear s would you like to stop here i mean i have more books that i could talk about but we also just seem to have really good conversation following each book we bring up (laughs) 
I'm wondering if it would be helpful to continue the conversation and then just chuck it as a part two. Yes. And for the sake of flow, we can keep on going. Well, let's let's stop it here then. Yes. And then our next episode, we'll just roll straight into our next books. Yeah, I love it. We'll do we'll do an extra long spooky book review or extravaganza <laughs> for all of you lovely people. We'll ha- you'll have two whole episodes of books that you need to read by yeah. the end of the month. <laughs> and it's the the bottom the common denominator here seems to be like people who are have problems. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, thank you everyone for listening if you have enjoyed it thus far leave a like a rating subscribe bookmark shout us out into the universe and send us to your friends tell them that we are awesome and worth listening to we appreciate all that you do for us we love you so so much during the spooky season and we hope that you have a safe and happy holiday month of spooks yeah and until next week stay alive friends See y'all real soon. (laughs) 